Good evening. I hope you've had a great day today. Welcome to BBJ's Bedtime Stories. I'm Big Boys Jay, and this is the show where we get you ready for a good night's sleep with public domain short stories just for you. Links to all the stories can be found in the show notes at bedtimewithbvj.com. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a buy me a coffee link in Time every post. To continue our story. The Adventure of the Creeping Man by author Conan Doyle. Home stopped at a post office and sent off a telegram on our way. The answer reached us in the evening and he tossed it across to me. Have visited the commercial road and seen Doric, suave person, bohemian, elderly, keeps large general store, Mercer. Mercer is since your time, said Holmes. He's my general utility man who looks up routine business. It was important to know something of the man with whom our professor was so secretly corresponding. His nationality connects up with the Prague visit. Thank goodness that something connects with something, said I. At present we seem to be faced by a long series of inexplicable incidents with no bearing upon each other. For example, what possible connection can there be between an angry wolfhound and a visit to Bohemia, or either of them with a man crawling down a passage at night? As to your dates, that is the biggest mystification of all. Ohm smiled and rubbed his hands. We were, I may say, seated in the old sitting room of the ancient hotel, with a bottle of the famous vintage of which Holmes had spoken on the table between us. Well, now, let us take the dates first, said he, his fingertips together, and his manner as if he were addressing a class. This excellent young man's diary shows that there was trouble upon July 2nd, and from then onward it seems to have been at nine-day intervals. With so far as I remember, only one exception. Thus the last outbreak upon Friday was on September 3rd, which also falls into the series, as did August 26th, which preceded it. The thing is beyond coincidence. I was forced to agree. Let us then form the provisional theory that every nine days the professor takes some strong drug which has a passing but highly poisonous effect. His naturally violent nature is intensified by it. He learned to take this drug while he was in Prague and is now supplied with it by a bohemian intermediary in London. This all hangs together, Watson? But the dog, the face of the window, the creeping man in the passage. Well, well, we have made a beginning. I should not expect any fresh developments until next Tuesday. In the meantime, we can only keep in touch with friend Bennett and enjoy the amenities of this charming town. In the morning, Mr. Bennett slipped round to bring us the latest report. At Holmes had imagined, times had not been easy with him. Without exactly accusing him of being responsible for our presence, the professor had been very rough and rude in his speech and evidently felt some strong grievance. This morning, he was quite himself again, however and had delivered his usual brilliant lecture to a crowded class. Apart from his odd fits, said Bennett, he has actually more energy and vitality than I can ever remember. Nor was his brain ever clearer. But it's not he. 
It's never the man whom we have known. I don't think you have anything to fear now for a week at least, Holmes answered. I am a busy man and Dr. Watson has his patients to attend to. Let us agree that we meet here at this hour next Tuesday, and I shall be surprised if before we leave you again we are not able to explain, even if we cannot perhaps put an end to your troubles. Meanwhile, keep us posted on what occurs. I saw nothing of my friend for the next few days, but on the following Monday evening I had a short note asking me to meet him next day at the train. From what he told me as we traveled up to Camford, all was well. The peace of the professor's house had been unruffled, and his own conduct perfectly normal. This also was the report which was given us by Mr. Bennett himself when he called upon us that evening at our old quarters in the Checkers. He heard from his London correspondent today. There was a letter and there was a small packet, each with the cross under the stamp which warned me not to touch them. There has been nothing else. That may prove quite enough, said Holmes grimly. Now, Mr. Bennett, we shall, I think, come to some conclusion tonight. If my deductions are correct, we should have an opportunity of bringing matters to a head. In order to do so, it is necessary to hold the professor under observation. I would suggest, therefore, that you remain awake and on the lookout. Should you hear him pass your door, do not interrupt him, but follow him as discreetly as you can. Dr. Watson and I will not be far off. By the way, where is the key of that little box of which you spoke? Upon his watch chain. I fancy our researches must lie in that direction. At the worst, the lock should not be very formidable. Have you any other able-bodied man on the premises? There's the coachman, MacPhail. Where does he sleep? Over the stables. We might possibly want him. Well, we can do no more until we see how things develop. Goodbye. But I expect that we shall see you before morning. It was early midnight before we took our station among some bushes immediately opposite the hall door of the professor. It was a fine night, but chilly, and we were glad of our warm overcoats. There was a breeze, and clouds were scudding across the sky, obscuring from time to time the half-moon. It would have been a dismal vigil were it not for the expectation and excitement which carried us along, and the assurance of my comrade that we had probably reached the end of the strange sequence of events which had engaged our attention. If the cycle of nine days holds good, then we shall have the professor at his worst tonight, said Holmes. The fact that these strange symptoms began after his visit to Prague, that he is in secret correspondence with the bohemian dealer in London, who presumably represents someone in Prague, and that he received a packet from him this very day, all point in one direction. What he takes and why he takes it are still beyond our ken. But that it emanates in some way from Prague is clear enough. He takes it under definite directions which regulate this ninth day system, which was the first point which attracted my attention. But his symptoms are most remarkable. Did you observe his knuckles? I had to confess that I did not. Thick and horny in a way which is quite new in my experience. 
Always look at the hands first, Watson. Then cuffs, trouser knees, and boots. Very curious knuckles, which can only be explained by the mode of progression observed by... Holmes paused and suddenly clapped his hand to his forehead. <gasps> Watson, Watson, what a fool I've been! It seems incredible, and yet it must be true. All points in one direction. How could I miss seeing the connection of ideas? Those knuckles! How could I have passed those knuckles? And the dog! And the ivy! Ah, it's surely time that I disappeared into that little farm of my dreams. Look out, Watson. There he is! We shall have the chance of seeing for ourselves. The half-door had slowly opened, and against the lamp-lit background, we saw the tall figure of Professor Presbury. He was clad in his dressing gown. As he stood outlined in the doorway, he was erect, but leaning forward with dangling arms, as when we saw him last. Now he stepped forward into the drive, and an extraordinary change came over him. He sank down into a crouching position and moved along upon his hands and feet, skipping every now and then as if he were overflowing with energy and vitality. He moved along the face of the house and then round the corner. As he disappeared, Bennett slipped through the hall door and softly followed him. "'Come, Watson, come!' cried Holmes. And we stole as softly as we could through the bushes until we had gained a spot whence we could see the other side of the house." which was bathed in the light of the half-moon. The professor was clearly visible crouching at the foot of the ivy-covered wall. As we watched him, he suddenly began with incredible agility to ascend it. From branch to branch he sprang, sure of foot and firm of grasp, climbing apparently in mere joy at his own powers, with no definite object in view. With his dressing gown flapping on each side of him, he looked like some huge bat glued against the side of his own house, a great square dark patch upon the moonlit wall. Presently, he tired of this amusement, and dropping from branch to branch, he squatted down into the old attitude and moved towards the stables, creeping along in the same strange way as before. The wolfhound was out now, barking furiously, and more excited than ever when it actually caught sight of its master. It was straining on its chain and quivering with eagerness and rage. The professor squatted down very deliberately just out of reach of the hound and began to provoke it in every possible way. He took handfuls of pebbles from the drive and threw them in the dog's face, prodded him with a stick which he had picked up, flicked his hands about only a few inches from the gaping mouth, and endeavored in every way to increase the animal's fury which was already beyond all control. In all our adventures, I do not know that I have ever seen a more strange sight than this impassive and still dignified figure, crouching frog-like upon the ground and goading to a wilder exhibition of passion the maddened hound, which ramped and raged in front of him by all manner of ingenious and calculated cruelty. And then, in a moment, it happened. It was not the chain that broke, but it was the color that slipped for it had been made for a thick-necked Newfoundland. We heard the rattle of falling metal, and the next instant dog and man were rolling on the ground together, the one roaring in rage, the other screaming in a strange, shrill falsetto of terror. It was a very narrow thing for the professor's life. The savage creature had him fairly by the throat, its fangs had bitten deep, and he was senseless before we could reach them and drag the two apart. 
It might have been a dangerous task for us, but Bennett's voice and presence brought the great wolfhound instantly to reason. The uproar had brought the sleepy and astonished coachman from his room above the stables. I'm not surprised, said he, shaking his head. I've seen him at it before. I knew the dog would get him sooner or later. The hound was secured, and together we carried the professor up to his room, where Bennett, who had a medical degree, helped me to dress his torn throat. The sharp teeth had passed dangerously near the carotid artery, and the hemorrhage was serious. In half an hour, the danger was past. I had given the patient an injection of morphia, and he had sunk into deep sleep. Then, and only then, were we able to look at each other and to take stock of the situation. I think a first-class surgeon should see him, said I. For God's sake, no, cried Bennett. At present, the scandal is confined to our own household. It is safe with us. If it gets beyond these walls, it will never stop. Consider his position at the university, his European reputation, the feelings of his daughter. Quite so, said Holmes. I think it might be quite possible to keep the matter to ourselves and also to prevent its recurrence now that we have a free hand. The key from the watch chain, Mr. Bennett. MacPhail will guard the patient and let us know if there's any change. Let us see what we can find in the professor's mysterious box. There was not much, but there was enough. An empty file, another nearly full, a hypodermic syringe, several letters, and a crabbed foreign hand. The marks on the envelopes showed that they were those which had disturbed the routine of the secretary, and each was dated from the commercial road and signed A. Doric. They were mere invoices to say that a fresh bottle was being sent to Professor Presbury, or receipt to acknowledge money. There was one other envelope, however, in a more educated hand and bearing the Austrian stamp with a postmark of Prague. Here we have our material, cried Holmes, as he tore out the enclosure. Honored colleague, it ran. Since your esteemed visit, I have thought much of your case, and though in your circumstances there are some special reasons for the treatment, I would nonetheless enjoin caution, as my results have shown that it is not without danger of a kind. It is possible that the serum of anthropoid would have been better. I have, as I explained to you, used black-faced Langer because the specimen was accessible. Langer is, of course, a crawler and climber, while Anthropoid walks erect and is always nearer. I beg you to take every possible precaution that there be no premature revelation of the process. I have one other client in England, and Doric is my agent for both. Weekly reports will oblige. Yours with high esteem, H. Lowenstein. Lowenstein! The name brought back to me the memory of some snippet from a newspaper which spoke of an obscure scientist who was striving in some unknown way for the secret of rejuvenescence and the elixir of life. Lowenstein of Prague. Lowenstein with the wondrous strength-giving serum tabooed by the profession because he refused to reveal its source. In a few words, I said what I remembered. Bennett had taken a manual of zoology from the shelves. Langer, he said, the great black-faced monkey of the Himalayan slopes, biggest and most human of climbing monkeys. Many details are added. Well, thanks to you, Mr. Holmes, it's very clear that we've traced the evil to its source. The real source, said Holmes, 
lies, of course, in that untimely love affair which gave our impetuous professor the idea that he could only gain his wish by turning himself into a younger man. When one tries to rise above nature, one is liable to fall below it. The highest type of man may revert to the animal if he leaves the straight road of destiny. He sat musing for a little with the vial in his hand, looking at the clear liquid within. When I have written to this man and told him that I hold him criminally responsible for the poisons which he circulates, we will have no more trouble. But it may recur. Others may find a better way. There is danger there, a very real danger to humanity. Consider, Watson, that the material, the sensual, the worldly would all prolong their worthless lives. The spiritual would not avoid the call to something higher. It would be the survival of the least fit. What sort of cesspool may not our poor world become? Suddenly the dreamer disappeared, and Holmes, the man of action, sprang from his chair. I think there's nothing more to be said, Mr. Bennett. The various incidents will now fit themselves easily into the general scheme. The dog, of course, was aware of the change far more quickly than you. His smell would ensure that. It was the monkey, not the professor, whom Roy attacked, just as it was the monkey who teased Roy. Climbing was a joy to the creature, and it was a mere chance, I take it, that the pastime brought him to the young lady's window. There's an early train to town, Watson, but I think we shall just have time for a cup of tea at the Checkers before we catch it. We are always on the hunt for great stories like these to feature on the show. You can send your suggestions to bigvoicej at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel full of stories from the show. Go to tiny.cc slash bedtime. If you found some value in our storytelling tonight, don't forget to show the love. There's a Buy Me A Coffee link on every post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>